0: Hey guys, this is David. We wanted to let you know about an exciting opportunity we don't want you to miss out on. We are hosting our annual Awaken Conference Labor Day weekend in Dallas, Texas. Join 4,000 other young adults from all over the country and world to be a part of seeing an awakening of the hope of the world, which is the church of Jesus in our generation. Go to theporch.live to get a ticket before they sell out. Hope to see you at Awaken 2022. Good evening, how are we doing tonight? Hey, it's, uh, it is so good to be here. My name is Timothy Atik, and I am one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark Community Church, and I always love getting to be at the porch. David and his team do such an incredible job, so just get to step in uh, tonight is, uh, is truly a joy. If you don't have a church that you call home, I want to invite you to come And join us on a Sunday morning. We would love to have you uh, join us. Um, I want to start tonight just by sharing with you a very unwise and unfortunate decision that I made several years ago. I attempted to drive from Austin to Dallas without my wife, but with my two kids, who were uh, two and a half and five months old at the time. Very unfortunate decision uh, you think that that's a uh an easy task it's really not it it's uh it's one of those things that you do and then you're like that was uh, really unwise i need a mentor and so uh here's how things played out i left austin i began to make my way up i-35 and for the first hour i was crushing it as a dad primarily because uh, both boys were asleep but an hour into the trip they both woke up And I decided that it was time for lunch, so I pulled off into the parking lot of the Chick-fil-A in Temple, Texas. If you've been to that Chick-fil-A, you know what I'm talking about. And so uh, we pulled in, and I parked, and I just stopped, and I thought about everything that needed to happen in order for me to get in and out uh, with my two boys without dying. And so I felt like I had my game plan. I got out of the car, and I began to make my way in, and I just looked like a circus. I mean, I had diaper bag slung over my chest, I had my five-month-old in his car seat in this hand, I had my two-and-a-half-year-old Noah in this hand, and you could like see um, the the sympathy on the faces of the Chick-fil-A workers, they were like, my pleasure, like it was, I know it's always their pleasure, that night, or that day, it was truly their pleasure, and so I walked in, we got our food, we sat down, we began to enjoy our meal, Everything was going incredible until right there in the middle of that meal, my five-month-old did something devastating in his diaper. I mean, just dropped a massive bomb. It was the the type of thing that it was like, okay, am I going to sit here and finish my number one with no pickles and a sweet tea with Chick-fil-A sauce, or am I going to be a good dad and I'm actually going to go clean him up before I continue to enjoy my food? And so I just made the right decision that we need to clean this guy up. And so I gotta gathered up all of our stuff, I got both kids, and we went into the bathroom of the Chick-fil-A in Temple, Texas. I pulled down the changing table, I put Andrew, my five-month-old, on it, and I told my two-year-old, hey, you just stand right here. And it was like every man's bladder was synced up that day because they all converged on the bathroom at the same time. So we're in this tight space and I'm just ferociously wiping this kid down. And right there in the middle of trying to clean him up, he floods the changing table, different number this time, and he floods it to the point where the the changing table is completely out of order. And right as he floods the changing table, I use my last wet wipe. So, Uh, Here I am, people, I am stranded in a moment with a changing table that is out of order, and I am holding a bare-bottomed five-month-old up in the air with nowhere to put him and nothing to clean him out with. And you might hear that and say, sounds like the worst-case scenario. It isn't. The worst-case scenario is looking left just in time to see your two-and-a-half-year-old playing with the urinal cake. That's the worst-case scenario. So, let's talk about stress. It sucks. Yes, it does. That's all you need to know. Let's pray and get out of here. No, um, I don't know if you've ever been stranded in a Chick-fil-A bathroom like that. Maybe you haven't. But I'll tell you what I felt in that moment holding that bare-bottomed baby. I felt stressed out, overwhelmed, and out of control. And here's the deal, if you have more to do than time to do it, if finances feel tight, if you are single and you don't wanna be, if you feel lonely heading into each weekend, if you've got some major project coming uh, coming up at work, I wouldn't be surprised if you feel the same exact way, stressed out, overwhelmed, and out of control. Just show of hands right now. Who can identify with that? Just be honest. Any, yeah. The majority of the people in the room in some way feel stressed out, overwhelmed, and out of control. And so tonight, I just want to encourage you, don't suppress your stress, address your stress. And you might be like, I ain't suppressing my stress. Like I am constantly stressed. Do you know what it looks like to suppress your stress? It's to let stress move into your life and just make itself at home to where the life you know is a life where there's always stress. Like when I was in sixth grade, this freak accident happened and it necessitated me wearing an eye patch for a week because I got hit in the eye. But out of that experience, I developed what's known as an eye floater, which means at any given time, I still have it to today, uh, at any given time, I see black dots right here. And for the first year I had it, I just thought a mosquito was constantly following me around. So I was like, and I could never get it. It was crazy. But then that one black dot got some friends. And so now I see a few black dots. The world that I know is a world with black dots. As far as I'm concerned, there are black dots in all of your worlds. That's just the world that I know. To suppress your stress is just to believe the world that you know The life that you know, this is just the way it is. It's just stressful. That's what it means to suppress your stress. It's to believe that that is just the normal and natural reality of life. But as we open up the Scriptures, which I believe is the Word of God, here's what we're going to see tonight. Stress isn't inevitable. It's actually optional. Why? because Jesus Christ is before all things and in him all things hold together and so what i want to do is i want to look at a story in the bible that might be familiar for some and for others it might be the first time that you've ever heard it but as we look at the story what i want to do is i want to give you four key truths that you need to know if you want to address the stress in your life and And what you do with these four key truths will determine whether your life is chaotic or calm. It will determine if you go through this week feeling pressure or peace. So if you have a Bible, turn with me tonight to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, I just want to acknowledge the fact that there are thousands of people in this room, which is amazing. And yet there are thousands of people all over this nation watching right now. So as you're turning there, hello, Porch Live, Midland, Texas, in Indy, in Scottsdale, in Austin, in Boise. I just love the fact that there are people all over this nation right now who are going to address their stress. Okay? Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Okay, let me read you verses 35 through 38. It'll just kind of set the scene for us. It says this On on that day, when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So all eyes on me, don't miss this. Okay, this is, this is a story that is taking place on the Sea of Galilee, real, real place. Okay, the Sea of Galilee is situated at about 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by hills. And it is said that with the right mixture of, of temperature, pressure, uh, wind, that sudden and violent storms can arise on the Sea of Galilee. This is a story about Jesus inviting his closest friends to get in a boat and to grow, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's interesting what happens because as Jesus and his friends make their way across the sea, they find themselves in a massive storm. And as, um, as, sh- as water fills the boat, stress begins to fill their souls. And the reason that I find that interesting is because I, I don't know if you know anything about Jesus' closest friends, but before several of his friends began to follow them, follow him. What was their occupation? Anyone know? Fishermen. So many of them were fishermen. Do you know what that means? It means that the Sea of Galilee had been their office. These were boat guys. They were lake guys. Surely they had been in storms on the Sea of Galilee before. And yet, what do we see? We see professional fishermen running to Jesus saying, Uh, Do you not care that we are perishing? These professional fishermen find themselves in, I think we are going to die type of storm. And as water fills the boat, stress fills their souls. Why? Because they begin to feel out of control. We don't see any of these professional fishermen saying, been here, done this, we know what these storms are like, we just need to do that, do this, you sit here, I'll do this. No, no. We see all of them saying, I think that this is it. This is how the story of my life ends. And it shows us something very important. At the root of your stress, don't miss it. Here's the first key truth that you need to know if you want to address your stress. At the root of your stress is a lack of control. Do you realize that? Like if you were to just excavate down to the root of what is stressing you out, this is it. At the root of your stress is a lack of control. Like if you have more to do than time to do it, the reason that you're stressed is because you can't control the clock. You can't manufacture a 30-hour workday. If you're, if you're stressed out by the thought of being a bachelor to the rapture, some of you are like, sounds incredible. Others of you are like, God, please no. But if the idea of being single for forever stresses you out, it's because you can't control when you're gonna you're going to find somebody that it just makes sense to do life with for the, rest of, for the rest of your life. If you're lonely and you just feel that stress of like, what am I going to do this weekend? Is it going to be another weekend of me sitting here by myself? If finances are tight, inflation is real right now, and yet maybe your salary isn't changing with it, and that is stressful. You're looking at your debt, you're looking at living in Dallas, and you're like, those two things don't work well together. It's stressing you out. Why? Because you feel out of control. You can't change how much money is coming in at the frequency it's coming in. At the root of your stress is a lack of control. So just do a deep dive into your own life. What is at the root of your stress? What is the thing that you cannot control? You're going to love the second key truth. Here it is. God will intentionally lead you into situations that you cannot control. No one's saying amen to that. Um, But that's a reality. Like God will intentionally lead you into situations that you cannot control. Whose idea was it to go across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? It was Jesus' idea. We know that Jesus is God, which means he knows all things. He knew that an I think we are going to die type of storm was going to come, and yet he suggested that they go across the sea at the exact time that there would be a storm. And then if you were to take this book and you were to just read the stories, you know what you would just see? You would see story after story of God putting his people in situations that they cannot control. Like Moses busts two million plus people out of slavery to Egypt and begins to take them on the largest road trip in history. And yet, where do they find themselves? At a dead end. At a dead end with the Egyptian army in pursuit. Daniel was thrown into a den of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, wrinkly, and barren. It's just story after story of God putting his people into situations that they cannot control. And I think it just begs the question, if God truly loved us, why would he do that? And I promise you I'll answer that question before I'm done. But the reason that, that we struggle with the fact that God will lead us into situations that we cannot control is because the majority of us are control freaks. We're control freaks, like, like some of you are budding control fre- freaks, and some of you are in full bloom, and you know who you are. Like, we need to have every aspect of our lives under control. We need to have our bank account under control. We need to have our job title under control. We need to have our future plans under control. We need to have our relationship status under control. We need to have, we need to have the number on the scale under control. We need to have the reflection in the mirror under control, we need to have our weekend plans under, we need every single aspect of our lives under control. And if that's you, if you need to be in control of every aspect of your life, let me just lovingly tell you what your life will perpetually feel like. It will constantly feel like trying to carry a big pile of laundry. What do I mean by that? Well, for the people in here who do their own laundry, hopefully that's everyone. What do you do? Okay, you stuff the washing machine with everything that you can get into it, sometimes too much stuff, but then you take that stuff and you put it in the dryer and after the dryer's run its cycle, what do you do? You open the door and you think to yourself, like, I'm going to get this all in one load. Like, we're busy people. We don't have time to make multiple trips from the dryer to the couch or from the dryer to our bedroom, and so what do we do? We get in there and we scrape the inside of the dryer and it's a feeling deal. You just gotta wait till you feel it. And when you just sense that you have every article of clothing in your grasp, that's when you begin to make the walk, the walk to the couch or to the bed. But as you're walking, you get this deep sense inside of you to look back. And what do you see? Man down. Sock down. Now, this is where we display our brilliance, people. Because instead of going and dropping off the pile and coming back, now we develop this very noble and heroic mantra of no sock left behind. And so we back up with the entire pile And we try and balance the entire pile of laundry in one hand as if two hands was working out for us. We free up an entire hand to grab the sock. And when we have the sock in our grasp, just when we think we have it all together, what do you see? Whitey tidies down and shame on you for never switching to boxers. But this will be, this will just be your life. You will want control and you just won't have it. Like, just when you think life is good, you know what, financial stock down. And just when finances begin to come together, you know what, relationship stock underwear, or the, those are two different things, relationship <laughs> underwear <laughs> down. There's just your reality. God will intentionally lead you Into situations that you cannot control. It leads me to the third key truth that you need to know if you wanna address your stress. You don't have to be in control because Jesus already is. That's it, You, you don't have to be in control because Jesus Christ already is. Look back at the text, look at what it says in verses 39 through 41. It says this, and he, that's Jesus, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Jesus gets woken up, and what does he do? He begins to talk to the sea. And I love it because... In, in the original language of the New Testament, those words, peace, be still, do you know what they literally mean? It literally means be muzzled. So I don't know what type of image you have of Jesus in your head when you think about him calling, calming the storm, but if your picture of is, is of a meek and mild Jesus, kind of groggy, standing up, he's like, oh, man, peace, dude, peace. Peace be still. No, it's it's be it's be muzzled. It's shut up. Be quiet. I love that idea of like putting a muzzle on a on a barking dog. There was this uh, there was this TV show that used to be on a long time ago. It's called The Dog Whisperer. I don't know if anyone in here ever encountered Caesar Milan is the dog whisperer. This this show was fascinating. If you never saw it, let me just fill you in. Just try and picture this in your head. Like, the show would start with a montage of clips of an unruly dog. I mean, the dog would be, like, biting its owner and barking at everyone that walked by and, like, eating the couch, like, in one swallow. Like, it was, it was nuts. And then Caesar would, like, pull up in his car and walk up to the door and knock and Walk in and like within three seconds of Caesar being there, Caesar would just walk in, look at the dog, and here's, this is all he would do. This is it. He would just go, hey, hey. And the dog would like, stop eating the couch, look at Caesar, do the head tilt, and fall over and die. It was crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. He's the dog whisperer. And I think about that, and I read this, and I'm like, Jesus is the sea whisperer. He stands up, he's like, shut up! Put a muzzle on it! Be quiet! And in a moment in time, that sea goes from chaotic to calm. This is the power of Jesus. This is why I say you don't have to be in control, because Jesus already is. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was sleeping in the middle of a storm when everyone else on the boat is like, this is it! This is how my life ends. And he's just asleep. He has to be woken up. Why was Jesus able to sleep in the midst of a, I think we're going to die type of storm? Because he wasn't threatened by the storm. He was already in control of the storm. Those waters had been created by God simply saying the word. Surely they could be calmed in the exact same way. And so can you just imagine if the great calm of the sea could become the great calm of your soul? Like when was the last time you, you just experienced peace? Like when I say that, when's the last time? Like try and date it. When's the last time you didn't have just that churning inside of you of stress? Like if you want the great calm of the sea to be the great calm of the soul, here's the good news. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he helps us navigate the way. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. These are two verses that are great to commit to memory but here's what he says, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, in supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this is, this is it. Like, if you want to experience peace, Paul is showing us the way. So let's just break it down. He says what? He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do you know what that is? That's a command. It's not a suggestion. That's a command from God through Paul to you. Do not be anxious about, and what's the next word? The next word is anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Do you know what the word anything means in the Greek? It means anything. That's it. Do not be anxious about anything. And if you have a Bible, I I just want you to look. Do you have an asterisk next to the word anything? No. There's no asterisk pointing you to a footnote where Paul caveats his statement with the things that it is okay to be anxious about. Do not be anxious about anything. Asterisk, footnote, except when inflation is happening. And you know what? Life is crazy right now. Do not be anxious about anything, asterisk, footnote, except when you're single and you don't want to be. Do not be anxious about anything, asterisk, footnote, except when you lose your job and you don't know what is next. Now the command is do not be anxious about anything. And let me just say this. Some of you in here, you heard me start tonight by saying that stress isn't inevitable, it's actually optional, and now you're hearing me say it's a command, do not be anxious about anything, and that is stressing you out. So I just want to acknowledge that there, there is a clinical diagnosis of anxiety, and that is a real thing. And so when you hear me say, don't, just don't be anxious about anything, I'm talking to the majority of people in this room that our stress is situational. But you know what, if you have a clinical diagnosis, hey, it is okay to get help for that. It's okay. But what I want the majority of people in here to hear is this is a command, do not be anxious about anything. But then Paul goes on and says this, but in everything, but in everything. What's the Greek of everything? Everything, everything. You name it, it counts, but in everything, by what? By prayer and supplication. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if it's stressing you out, God cares about it, and you should talk to him about it. So let me just ask you this. Whatever is stressing you out right now, have you talked to God about it? Here's what I didn't say. I didn't say, have you talked at God about it? I asked you, have you talked with God about it? To talk at God about it is simply to allow God to eavesdrop on you as you process through what you're going to do to try and figure out your situation to try and get back in control. To talk at God about it is to go through the spiritual motions, but in the end, you're still going to try and quarterback your life you're gonna still try and control something that you can't control. So what I'm asking when I say, have you talked to God about it, is I'm, I'm asking you have, you, have you gotten on your knees and have you just said, God, I can't, but you can. Like my shoulders are not sturdy enough to shoulder this thing that's going on in my life. So you know what, I'm gonna roll it onto your shoulders. Because your shoulders are sturdy enough for it. And I trust you. And then at 15 minutes later, you know what? When you start stressing out again, you're going to get on your knees. And you're going to be like, God, okay, so I'm stressing out again. Because I'm trying to control my life again. And so I just want to acknowledge that you, Jesus, you are before all things. And in you, all things hold together. So I'm going to trust you with the next 15 minutes of my life. That you are in control. I trust you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Now watch this. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Did you see that? It feels like Paul says, I want you to pray to God about it. I want you to thank God, and I want you to let him know what you need. It feels like he got things out of order with that thanksgiving, like right there in the middle. It's like Paul was like, well, shoot, erasers don't exist yet, and I wrote it, but I got it out of order. All right, we'll send it to print. Like, it's, what we want it to be is you stress out, you ask God to do something, God does something, and then you say thank you for it. Paul is saying you stress out, you talk to God about it, you thank him in the middle of it. And you wait and watch for him to do something. Do you know what it looks like to thank God in the process? It's to look back and thank God for what he's already done in your life. Because when you look back and you remember that God has been faithful, it reminds you that he's capable. He's been faithful with your past. He's capable in your present. So I want you to try just thanking him for what he's already done, and then I want to encourage you to thank him for what he's going to do. This isn't like some like prosperity gospel, like, God, I thank you that you are going to give me a wife tomorrow. That's not what I'm talking about. This isn't, thank you, God, that when I go to the mailbox, there will be a check in the name of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm talking about, like, God, I, I thank you in advance that your will for my life is good, pleasing I don't know what you are going to do. Honestly, God, I can't see a way out of this thing. But I thank you in advance that I am in your hands. And I am safe there. And the worst thing that could happen, the worst thing that could happen, is that you take me home to be with you. And that ain't that bad. It just puts it in perspective. That God is in control. And so he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And watch this, what will happen? And in the peace of God, that's what we want. We want peace. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, what will it do? It will, not it might, it, it will guard two things. It'll guard what? Your heart? It's the seed of your emotion. It'll guard your heart, and it'll guard your mind. Can you imagine reaching a place where your mind just, it just stops racing for five minutes? It stops trying to solve the equation. And you can just rest even in the midst of the unknown. Paul is saying, this is what it looks like to flip the switch on your stress. Prior to uh, moving to Dallas, I lived in College Station, and prior to living the yep, it's good to see you, Ax. Prior to College Station, uh, we lived in Waco. And when we lived in Waco, it was when, uh, it was when my kids were really young. And uh, we, we were renting a three bedroom house and I officed out of my bedroom. It was just, it was pretty depressing. It was like a chair in the corner of my bedroom. That was my office. And uh, the ministry that I led, it met on Monday nights. And so uh, 6 p.m. on Monday nights was like go time of me trying to figure out exactly like, where are we going tonight, God? Like, what, are we get, what do you wanna do? Well, 6 p.m. was also meltdown time for my kids. And so a good friend of mine figured that out, and he bought me this $200 pair of Bose noise-canceling headphones, which was amazing because, like, diapers could be exploding, and kids could be melting down, and all I had to do was put these headphones on and flip a switch, and my life would go from chaotic to calm. I know this makes me sound like a really bad dad, but I'm just telling you reality that the switch would get flipped. And Paul is saying, if you want to flip the switch on your stress, here it is, don't miss it. Look upward instead of inward. Do you know what stress really is? It's a distress signal of your soul that you're looking upward, or you're looking inward instead of upward. You are actually made to look upward at God for your help. But our tendency is to look inward to try and figure it out ourselves. You don't have to be in control because Jesus Christ already is. The final truth that I need you to know if you wanna address your stress is this. When you can't control life, you have two options. Here they are, fear or faith. Those are your two options. Why do I say that? It's it's because of what Jesus said right there at the end. Did you see what he said? He said, um, the wind ceased and there was a great calm, verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? So Jesus is giving them the options. He's saying, look, why did you freak out? Why did you choose fear when you actually had a second option? You could have chosen faith. Why? Because I'm in your boat. I'm, I'm in your boat. The one who simply has to say the word is in your boat. The natural response to to seasons of life where we feel out of control is fear. Stress is simply our response to the unknown. It's it's really just fear of not being able to control the outcome. It's, It's not being able to see around the corner to see if everything's actually going to work out. That's all stress is. It's just fear of the unknown. The normal, natural response is stress, and yet maybe God brought you here tonight so that you could simply hear that you have another option. It's faith, why? Because he's in the boat of your life. The one who simply has to say the word is in the boat of of your life, and he cares. He cares about your life. Like if you ever question if God cares for you, all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Like if you ever wonder if Jesus cares about your peace, all you have to do is look at the cross. Listen to what Colossians 1 says. It says this, for in him, that's in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So here's what that's saying. It's saying, the reason that that we remember and we reflect on and sing about and talk about Jesus' death, burial and resurrection is because Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead so that we could experience peace. See, whether you realise it or not, every single one of us finds ourselves in a life threatening storm. It's it's the storm of sin. Every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, we are not born right with God because not one of us lives the perfect life that God requires. And so when the storm of sin was threatening to separate each one of us from God for all of eternity, do you know what Jesus did? Is he got on a cross voluntarily. He was nailed to a cross. He was Punished for you and for me. He died for your sins and for my sins. And when he hung on that cross, what were his final words on the cross? His final words were, it is finished. And that was another way for Jesus to say, shut up. Be muzzled to the storm of sin that was threatening to separate you and me from God for all of eternity. On the cross, Jesus conquered our sin. He was punished so that you wouldn't have to be. He was put in a tomb, and he walked out of that tomb victoriously so that his victory could become your victory and you could be made right with God, not through your performance, but through his perfect work on the cross. Do you know that piece? Let's get real. You might be stressed out about your job You might be stressed out about finances. You know what you really need to be stressed out about is if you're right with God because that's the one thing that matters for all of eternity. You know what the good news is? You don't have to stress out about that if you know Jesus because Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. And if you know him, then the wrath of God for your sin has been silenced for all of eternity. And you can enjoy peace with God for all of eternity because of Jesus Christ. I want to just answer the question real quick if God truly loved us, why would He allow, why would He lead us into situations that we can't control? Like, I've. Th- I, let me just tell you one reason why I love the Bible. One of the reasons I love the Bible is because it gets us. What was the question that the disciples ran to Jesus with? Look back at the text. What was their question? Do you not care? Do you not care? Have you ever had that question to God? God, do you not care that I'm perishing? Do you not care? that I don't know what I'm doing with the rest of my life? Do you not care that I don't have a job? Do you not care that finances aren't working right now? Do you not care that I'm lonely? Like the Bible gets us. It's not just a bunch of sugar-coated stories of people who live unrealistic lives. No, these were Jesus' closest friends, and they're like, I don't think you care about us. Why does Jesus lead us into situations that we cannot control? Here's the answer. Because it gives him an opportunity to show up in our lives. It gives, us, it gives him an opportunity to show up and display his goodness and greatness in our lives. And what if Jesus knows that there is more joy waiting for you and for me in dependence than in control? What if he cares about us more than we care about ourselves and he cares about us enough to lead us to dependence upon him, instead of us just letting us go, trying to control our own lives. There's more joy in dependence than in control. It gives him an opportunity to show up. He might not show up how you think he should show up. He might not stop the storm, but his goodness and greatness might sustain you through the storm. Like the fact that you're here tonight, that's a demonstration of his goodness. Some of you might feel like you're barely standing. You're still standing because Jesus has allowed you to to be sustained through the storm. I wanna finish tonight just by focusing for a moment on Peter, okay? And this is so cool, so I hope that you just stick with me for just a few more minutes so I can show you this connection. I wanna focus for a minute on Peter. The reason I wanna focus on Peter is because uh, Mark, the one who wrote this book, he was not an eyewitness of Jesus or of this story. He was not an eyewitness of this story, and yet this story, it has the, the details of an eyewitness account. Like it mentioned the other boats around them. It talked about the cushion that Jesus was sleeping on. Where did Mark get his account? Most likely he got it from Peter. Okay? Now, here's what we know about Peter. We know that the question that the disciples asked Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? We know that Peter at least thought that question. If you know anything about Peter, there's a good chance he's the one who said the question, because Peter was kind of a speak first, think second kind of guy. But we know that that question at least represents how Peter felt. So how meaningful that years later Peter would write these words in 1 Peter chapter 5. He writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Like I just picture Peter writing and he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And I just wonder, we have no way of knowing, but I wonder if as he wrote about the mighty hand of God, I wonder if he pictured Jesus' hand stretched out toward the sea and he's like, humble yourselves under those mighty hands. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because I've run to him and I've questioned if he cares. And he's shown up. He's calmed the storm in my life. I know he cares. He cares for me. He cares for you. Several years ago, I was dealing with some anxiety in my own life. And so I went to see a biblical counselor, about a biblical counselor is simply someone who takes the Bible and opens it up, listens to what you're struggling with, and then speaks to your struggle from the scriptures. And so just imagine, I go into this counseling appointment, I tell him I'm struggling with anxiety, so what story do you think he turned me to? Mark chapter four. So we talk about Jesus calming the storm. Thanks a lot, counselor, really good, that's great. Really appreciate it. Before the session ended though, this is where the gold was in the session. He said, hey, you have to see the connection between Mark chapter four and Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 12, here's what's going on. At the beginning of Acts chapter 12, King Herod has just killed James, a Christian, and King Herod sees how pleasing it is to the people that he has just put a Christian to death, that he arrests Peter, And so we are left to assume that King Herod intends to put Peter to death. Now, watch what we find Peter doing. Here's what it says. This is beautiful. Acts chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, it says, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, bring him out to do what? Probably to kill him. On that very night, what was Peter doing? Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands. Here's why I love this so much. Peter found himself in the midst of a physical storm and in the midst of that physical storm, what was Jesus doing? He was sleeping. Jesus Christ went to the cross, rose from the dead, and he had this special moment with Peter in John 21. And what did Jesus tell Peter? He said, hey, Peter, you, you follow me. Follow me. And Peter took him so seriously that on another night, with a different type of storm, when his life was potentially about to end, what does Peter do? What he saw Jesus do on the cushion. He goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. That's peace. So, if that's the goal, if the goal is to be able to sleep peacefully, when potentially your life is on the line, can't we all agree that we all have some room to grow? like we all have a step to take. Stress isn't inevitable. It's actually optional. Why? Because Jesus Christ is in the boat of your life. The one who simply has to say the word is in the boat of your life, and he cares for you. So choose faith, not fear. Look upward instead of inward. Let's pray together. and I just want to ask you to listen to me right now. If you're sitting here in this room and here's the reality, the thing that is stressing you out is if you were to die tonight, you don't know where you would be. You don't know if you're right with God. If that's you, you you can put that stress to rest right now. Jesus says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest the scriptures say that all who call upon the name of the lord shall be saved so if that's you right now if you're sitting there just saying i want to know i i want to i want to know jesus i want to be right with him i want peace with god if that's you then let me just encourage you right in this moment would you just Pray along with me. Say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life tonight? Just say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead for me. Just say, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of all of my sins? Would you make me right with God? Just say, I want complete peace with God. And that just tell them, would you begin to lead me in a new life as my Savior and as my King? And then let me just ask, whoever is in here, I mean, we, the majority of the room raise their hands, that, that they feel stressed out, overwhelmed, out of control. If that's you, like, do business with the Lord now. Look upward now. Don't just... Talk at God, talk with him. Invite him in, roll your stress onto his shoulders. Invite him in, express your desperation for him to move. And at the same time, ask him to sustain you through the storm. If he chooses not to stop it, would you just ask him to sustain you through it? Lord Jesus, we need you. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the one who simply has to say the word. I just pray that you would come and and calm our souls. I pray that we would all sleep better tonight than we have slept in a long time. I pray that for many of us, our brains would just turn off for a few minutes. I pray that that gnawing sense of stress or anxiety would just fall silent for a little bit, God. Because you, Jesus, are in the boat of our lives, and you care. Tonight, Lord Jesus, we choose faith. We choose to believe that you have been faithful in the past. You are capable in the present. And one day, we'll spend all of eternity with you, celebrating your faithfulness in the past, present, and forevermore. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.